0: Well, hello Seattle,
1: hello Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, about sommelier, and uh, actually studying for the Master Sommelier exam coming up this July. Um, I'm also the Commodore cocktails and the uh, gosh, the the man behind uh, the, with the coconut Chris. You can call me. Um, we're going to talk about some coconuts today, which is kind of fun. I've always liked that taste, and when my mom used to bake cookies. I always loved that baker's coconut. Why? Because I'm sure I was a little kid and that was the sugar fix I needed. Of course, my mom also gave me uh, carol corn syrup I put on my pancakes. So I think, lo and behold, she became a dentist and uh, we don't see that stuff anymore. Um, but when you think of coconut, there's uh, it's certainly been the new wave of rehydration or refreshment. And the funny thing is I've been drinking coconut water really for the last 25, 30 years because... Um, being half Asian, uh, uh, the better part, um, we would go down to Chinatown, and I would go into the stores, and they'd have these coconut cans and also a coffee cans, so they were way ahead of the curve way ahead of Starbucks, Frappuccino, um, and, of course, way ahead of uh, Zyko, coconut water. Um, but uh, I really loved it. And some you can get cans with with little chunks in it. Sometimes it's roasted. Sometimes it's just pure. Uh, but regardless, it's always delicious. And, of course, it's taken uh, the world by storm. I'm surprised they still have enough coconuts to uh, put in all those containers. But I got a couple who uh, – a couple, a, a lovely couple, uh, Danielle and Mike Zig who are um, – uh, based here in the United States, and they had a brand new idea and something that I've never seen before. So let's welcome to Happy Hour. Danielle and Mike, hey, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look at each other. And they're like, Okay, you go first, and and I'll go. Um, where are you located right now?
2: I'm in Miami.
1: All right
3: and I'm in
1: LA right now. Wow. How about that? This is like an at t moment. Reach out and touch someone. Um, oh, let's talk about this idea. You guys, uh, must love coconuts. Is that right?
2: Uh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So the idea that you, you wanted to do something with coconuts, talk about that story. Tell us about that.
2: So I guess back in 2013, uh, you mentioned one of these brands, Zico, um, the coconut water war started. If so you had a Vita Coco, Zico, a lot of these brands coming out with Tetra Pack's coconut water. Um, Mike and I, we grew up in so by the way, just backing up on this, we're brother sister. We're not married oh. or anything. <laughs> uh, but we grew up in uh <laughs> it it happens all the time. That's but awesome. um we grew up in yeah, we grew up in Central America drinking fresh coconut water right off the side of the highway. Um so when we saw that, you know, stuff was happening in the Tetra Pack space and we tasted it, we're like This doesn't really taste like what we, you know, consider coconut water. So uh, we started literally bringing, smuggling coconuts up in our luggage
3: uh, to Miami. We actually found out a funny law that a coconut is a nut. So it was totally kosher to bring it through in our luggage. Awesome. That's that's what really got us going. Wow.
2: Yeah. So we, yeah, so we, we, we just, you know, we took these coconuts and started sort of, you know, from the back of our cars at that point hustling them around Miami Beach and push comes to shove um every, obviously everybody liked it cuz it's like fresh coconut water they really liked it and it tasted different from what they were getting pitched on on the Tetra Pak stuff and sure. turned into quite a sizable little business So did you so have in a, the end we ended up oh god
1: oh did you have a machete was this how you were doing it
2: well, well so the the good thing about these types of coconuts is so essentially we peel off the husk so like the green part that right. you see on a coconut we peel that off and leave the inner brown nut. And then it's really easy to open them up because they have a little, like one little spot that's a soft membrane that you could literally pierce through with any sort of hard tool, like even a pen.
1: Like so MacGyver, then, a right?
2: And, <laughs> yeah, so it's like super easy, pop a straw and it's a nature's juice box. Well,
1: that's really fun. So, how, how yeah. many coconuts were you smuggling, quote unquote, uh, across the border? <laughs>
2: we were smuggling, we could really only fit a couple hundred between, like, a couple of luggage, you know, between the both of us. But uh, we graduated from there um, onto containers, and I think a container can fit about 700 times 20, so, you know, 14,000 14, coconuts. Am I, am I math right?
1: That's and it. Lots of coconuts. yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> well I remember there's yeah. a uh, there's a indigenous uh, scorpion, isn't there a scorpion a spider? Isn't there a coconut tarantula or something?
2: I have not seen a tarantula <laughs> well, and I hope good. never to see a
1: tarantula. <laughs> that's good. Um, so did you have an a, a name for this uh, this illicit business you were running?
2: Uh yeah, we uh, we named it Coconut Cartel because we were smuggling coconuts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. So you weren't actually up on the on the, the post office uh, most wanted list next to the El Chapo, right? Because you got your different kind of cartel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. It was a close call, but no, thank God I we think, didn't.
3: I think at one point I was on the list at the airport. I got flagged every time I flew in. So, oh, that's, yeah. That's as far as we went with that.
1: That's right. Well, you're probably looking too comfortable. Um, the idea of coconuts. Now, let's talk about the coconut. How long does it take for a coconut to ripen?
2: Um, so we pick them like we call it like they're almost like teenagers, right? Because you have like young coconuts and then you have the mature coconuts. They're like the super brown ones. So we pick them between four and six months old.
1: Okay. How many coconuts mm-hmm. grow on a coconut tree?
2: Oh, that's a tough question. It depends on the tree, Um, but you could probably get somewhere between 40 and 50 growing on like a a, a tree, but they're not all ripe. So you have like some that are ready to be pulled down. So you could get, you know, five to 10 that are ready for you to uh, harvest and then the rest of them, you got to let them grow.
1: Interesting. And uh, how much does a coconut typically weigh? I mean, with the husk and without the husk?
2: Oh boy. Actually, (laughs)
3: they weigh about a kilo.
1: Yeah, they're about two pounds, right? And then you then probably end up with what, maybe 12 ounces or 14 ounces? I mean, it's more than half of the husk. Yeah, yeah, we
2: get, yeah, we get up about, we get about 12 to 16 ounces of water inside the coconut. Wow. And then it has some meat. It has about eight ounces of meat.
1: Right. So, um, do you harvest all of this? Do you, I mean, you must be a sustainable uh, business because of the coconut wars, right?
2: Um, Well, we don't, I mean, I don't personally harvest them but yeah we have we basically reactivated about 10,000 acres of coconut farmland in El Salvador that was once um it was once plantations for almond joy um but then they were abandoned because of you know political turmoil and wars and things like that so now it's all you know divided up amongst different plantation owners and we work with them to um to harvest
1: That's cool. Is uh, that great? You had some follow ground and you've uh, rejuvenated it. Are there more than one type of coconut? Are there species of coconuts?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's um, the types of coconuts that grow in Central America are um, there's Panama tall. um, There is a Malayan dwarf there is a brazilian aniao (laughs) sounds like um, cannabis (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's kind of like wine you know the different grapes (laughs) give you different flavors you got you got the thai ones which are the oh yeah home
1: yeah they're
2: um very fragrant really sweet and fragrant so they're all you know pretty different yeah
1: do you do you save the meat when you're you're actually extracting the the, the water? Um, do you actually process the entire coconut, or do you take the water and then give the coconut to Almond Joy?
2: Uh, well, Almond Joy that was a long time ago. That was like, back, I think, in like the 50s. So they're no longer there. But we don't actually extract the coconut water for the coconuts. Like we import them like whole. So you're extracting them by drinking them. So you just pop a. Pop a hole in it, put a straw in it, and, and I drink see. it.
1: Okay, so you, you in this business, the coconut cartel is still providing fresh coconuts for, for uh, consumption. Is that right?
2: Uh, yeah, we do, but we really only limit it now to just the uh, the Florida market. Um, it's a very perishable good, so all right. Uh, that's why we sort of ventured into our next the next phase, which is uh, a coconut rum, so that we could you know bring people some nice coconut cocktails anywhere in the world.
1: I like that. It's a great segue. But before we get there, when does a coconut ripen? Is that would, was it year round? Is it every six months? I mean, is it a fruit like, or is it an annual? Or
2: it's yeah, no, it's giving it. It's uh, it, it's all year round, but you know, you'll have like I said, uh, you'll have some coconuts on a tree that are really young and not ready to be harvested, and some that are ready to go. So, but it's it's a tropical climate, so it doesn't really change. What might change is the level of rain. So, depending on how much it's rained in the last six months. Uh, will affect how much water the coconuts are able to hold.
1: Interesting. Does the coconut sort of um, take some of that water back as nutrition, or as it needs to, or is it is that like a a, a battery or a, a safe for some of the the water nutrients? I don't know.
2: Mm, that's a good question. I'm not.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm not
2: sure. <laughs> I'm gonna say. Uh, Pass.
1: <laughs> so, so who harvests these coconuts? I mean, do you have like some robots? Do you have a guy on uh, one of those lifts, or do you have someone who, like the old telephone pole guys, would would just get the boots on and and uh, straddle that tree with his his yeah, uh, leather strap? A little bit
2: strap? of both. A little bit of both. It depends on uh, how advanced each farm has, you know, their coconut harvest. But you got some that are able that has. There's some that have like towers that move with oxen, and right. they climb up on the towers and like are able to pick some off the trees. And you have other farms that literally send people up. They just climb up the trees, uh, you know, Tie a rope around a bunch of coconuts and, and let them go.
1: So you don't actually shake the tree like some people do for fruit.
2: No, <laughs> no, no, no. That would be a, a coconut falling at that height could be very, very dangerous. Definitely uh, don't want to shake it.
1: I'm sure. So um, during your downtime, you must have been drinking the local rum and playing with coconut water. Did you? Is there a, a specific cocktail that was made that that had the give you inspired you the idea of this coconut rum?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. When we were going out and selling the coconut, the first question that we'd get um, at a lot of these hotels and bars was, hey, you know, what, what cocktail can I make in this coconut? And having grown up in Central America, we, you know, we're accustomed to drinking really good aged rum um, from the region. So you have a number of brands and distilleries um, in the region. And so our recommendation was always just pop a couple, you know, a shot of Guatemalan aged rum in there and uh, you're, you should be good to go. And so that exact cocktail was what really inspired us to do a you know a guatemalan aged rum infused with fresh coconut
1: water and that's what i have in my hand it's called coconut cartel the special guatemalan dark rum with coconut water um let's talk about this Uh, are you hand selecting barrels of rum or do you have a partner that's distilling for you how's that working
2: yeah so we have a distillery partner um in guatemala that uh very you know off it was really awesome to work with them to be able to you know go and taste just basically every age of rum you could imagine um they have everything from you know newly distilled all the way up to probably you know 35 years old um so we went and selected the age the different ages that we liked and created a blend you know so we have rum from four up to 12 years old um and so uh yeah that 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 blend that we created was one that's um that we then take and then proof it with the fresh coconut water. So we bring it down to a 40% alcohol or, you know, 80 proof using that same fresh coconut water that we've been, you know, selling for many years.
1: Excellent. So is the coconut water refrigerated to keep it fresh or do you have, you just harvest it and then dump it in as to as to uh, stabilize?
2: Yeah, no, we, it's uh, basically three days old. Like that's the maximum that you could get. We We harvest it, we harvest it, we cut it. Once you cut open the coconut and uh you know it's exposed it into, sure you know whatever container yeah it starts uh, decomposing decomposing so you put it immediately in refrigeration and then once you're able to uh put it into the rum blend then it stabilizes the coconut water
1: fantastic do you have a website out there that people can uh find you on maybe order this
2: absolutely uh, it's coconutcartel.co co no m
1: is that for Columbia? It's <laughs> the- <laughs> i don't know what for. <laughs> yes it's for
2: <laughs> Columbia, but somebody stole it and uh, made it <laughs> Global, uh, I guess. <laughs> so fun. I
1: have a, a little dram here in my glass, and it smells um, f- fragrantly like like coconut. Almost like toasted coconut, though. It's got maybe that's part of the, the aged rum. Um, it also smells like very floral, like vanilla. Uh, is this just pure rum and coconut water?
2: Yeah. So you'll get a lot of the the woods from you know from the aging and it's you know the, the the rum also has takes on a little bit of caramel some vanilla like you mentioned um, a little burnt sugar you'll sort of taste in there and then just at the very end you'll taste the coconut and a lot when you, if you put an ice cube in it the coconut comes out even even more.
1: Wow. Danielle, Mike, congratulations on the coconutcartel.co. It's a tasty product, and I appreciate you sharing the story on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks Thank you, for having you so us. much, Fred. Awesome. Hey, folks, stick around. we got lots more coming up on 570 KVI.
0: The right way. The commute with Carlson, live and local. Weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now, more KVI want to know weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round two. And, uh, Tis the season. It's springtime. It's April. We'll get some April showers and May flowers and then move on to the sweet summer that we long for here in the Pacific Northwest. Get out of that gray and perhaps turn into uh, 50 shades of pink. (laughs) It's uh, the rosé season, and I think rosé is actually good all year round, depending on uh, where you are and what you're doing. But uh, I'm a huge rosé fan. As you know, I've made pink coral rosé. Uh, here out of Washington State, which uh, truly was one of the best roses ever produced in the world. I have to say so myself because um, <laughs> it 's all gone. It must have been good, uh, but these days rose uh, you know Washington state has uh, had a fledgling rose uh, industry over the last five years it 's just something that we that typically winemakers do to fortify the red wines or or to increase the concentration of of the red wines so they 'll spill a little pink off, and uh, oftentimes that pink juice was kind of sweet, and they just kind of let it go but these days, or the last seven years, they would bottle it and sell it for really cheap, and um, not that it was good, but uh, you know it was sweet and kind of plonky, and uh, it was only ten, twelve bucks. So most of the time, people would buy it because, heck, it was just uh, just a ten dollar note. Uh, these days, rosés got more sophisticated. Of course, we have uh, rosé champagne and rosé cremant and uh, the host of dry rosés, which has swept uh, the the world. Really, um, all of it started uh, really in the south of France, in the Provence area, and Grand gravitated to Italy and Spain and, of course, America here. Uh, And I have a brand-new product that uh, came across my way. Um, It's called Rosé Piscine, and I have the U.S. brand manager, uh, Blake Helpe. He's online, and we're going to chat about this uh, new phenomenon, which is a little different than you may be expecting when it comes to Rosé. So let's uh, let's get him on. Hey, Blake, welcome to Happy Hour.
3: Hey, Christopher. Uh, Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure. So uh, let's talk about you. You are the U.S. brand manager for a, a rosé company, right? Let's talk about that.
3: Sure, sure. So um, uh, the brand is called Rosé Piscine. And um, what, uh, what it is, it's a, it's a French rosé that we specifically identify to drink over ice, okay? And uh, before anyone rolls their eyes, I wanted to just uh, step back and, and explain a little bit uh, about this whole rosé over ice trends, because it's a real thing in France. Um, and it's not, it's not brand new in France. It's actually it's, it's a trend that has really gone back maybe uh, three or four decades. And in the south of France, uh, anywhere between Marseille and Nice, on a hot day during the summer, uh, you will often see a large percentage of uh, people that are drinking rosé uh, with a bowl of ice next to their glass, and uh, they'll occasionally uh, take an ice cube and plunk it into their glass, or it may even come by that way, um, you know, their garçon might actually just bring them a, uh, a glass of rosé with uh, one or two nice-sized Scotch-style uh, ice cubes. And uh, th- this this concept of rosé over ice is so prevalent and so common that there's even a slang expression for it today in France, which is rosé piscine. And, um, you know, thinking back to uh, sort of your, your high school uh, French class, piscine, <laughs> uh, that means swimming pool, Okay. And it actually makes a lot of sense because the way that José Piscine is traditionally served in the south of France is in a large red wine glass mm-hmm. or a cognac snifter or a goblet and uh, uh, to accommodate the ice. And at some point, someone uh, remarks, wow, this, this, this glass, which is so much larger than the typical white wine or rosé glass, uh, it's so large it reminds me of a swimming pool. And the name just sort of stuck, and that's actually where uh, the expression José piscine came from. Um, it wasn't until about 12 years ago, though, that uh, uh, the president of our winery, uh, Jacques Cluny, was in uh, the Saint maxime area, which is uh, where his wife is from, and he observed this this sort of you know rosé over ice um, thing. and And he w- he wasn't that familiar with it because it, at the time it was pretty regional in the south. Uh, and so we ordered a rosé piscine, and uh, it. it, it it came, and basically it was just a house rosé at uh, sort of this, this bar on the Esplanade that he was at. And, uh, you know, they, they served it in a cognac glass with uh, a couple, uh, you know, large uh, ice cubes. And it was uh, really refreshing and super cold and, and pleasant for about the first two minutes. And then uh, his highly trained wine palate kicked in. And, I mean, after about two or three minutes, he realized uh, that uh, the wine was sort of— uh, starting to taste a little diluted and the, the, the structure and complexity and flavor profile uh, um, was uh, sort of dissipating uh, as the ice melted. And it was really a, at that point that uh, uh, the light bulb went off and he realized that no French winery was making a rosé specifically for over ice uh, or piscine style consumption. And uh, so it was at at that point that he went back to the winery and uh, worked with uh, Pascal, our head winemaker for uh, Rosé Piscine, and we came up with a very, very innovative uh, uh, rosé that is very different uh, just in terms of the vinification process, the varietals, everything is different about this wine.
1: Well, I, I have to admit, I didn't think Europe had ice cubes for the longest time. We would have you know water poured out of a bottle, and there was never ice. Of course, uh, the beer was relatively warm. Uh, the wines, I guess they would put it on ice if you were lucky, but typically they just put the bottle on the table because those little bistro tables are so small. Um, and, of course, rosé, uh, there have been hundreds of varieties. And, of course, the gateway wine for the United States was the White Zinfandel, and, which was a rosé-style wine. Wine. Of course, it was sweet and tart and uh, hit a lot of palates. Uh, I'm curious, uh, this particular bottle, which is quite uh, colorful, it is a. Um, it reminds me of some of the umbrellas down in the south of France. It's blue, white, and light blue. It's got stripes. It looks like something out of the beach scene, and it makes sense. And it's got a pink rosé and then a blue piscine. Um, it's screw top, which makes it super easy. I believe in screw tops. Access to wine for all, and uh, this wine has pretty low alcohol uh, overall, and it actually um, it has a little bit of sweetness. Which I ha- I'm serving it right now on the rocks, and it's something that I typically don't do. Um, but I have to say that the acidity here, the the, the flavor profile, it, it's really quite delicious.
3: Yeah, th- thank you, thank you. No, it's a, it's a very it's a very different product. You know, a lot of. Um, a lot of people in the industry that i talk with um you know one of the first questions they, they ask me is you know is this just a marketing shtick or is this is 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 the juice actually different and um you know as as you can attest to now christopher having tried it uh, now it, it's a very different style of uh, of rosé um and you're absolutely right it's um it would it would strike it would strike the, the trained um the, the trained palate as being a little bit on the sweeter side particularly without ice and particularly at the very beginning, um, but then as as the wine continues to interact with the ice, it actually tips on a drier profile, and I think you'll, you'll start to notice that actually over the next uh, minute or two.
1: Uh, it's really delicious. The acidity is moderate plus. Um, the sweetness, obviously, it's never really how much sugar's in the wine; it's how much acids in the wine because you can have a cup of sugar, you'll say, but if you have 30 lemons, it's still going to taste pretty tart. Um, this wine, it's very refreshing. I don't know that it's truly a complex, something we're looking to really delve and talk about, but it's just sublimely um, complex. I've got hints of orange and perhaps some tropical fruit, some, some red berry or some raspberry and a little bit of strawberry. And those are all the fruits that our best served cold anyway, we like those, uh, kind of, you know, you bite into a nice chilled uh, bowl of raspberries or something like that. Um, you've, you started this brand actually not in the United States, but in another country. Let's talk about that quickly.
3: So, so the brand itself actually did start in France. Um, okay. And about, about 12, 13 years ago, but my involvement with the brand actually started in Brazil. So, uh, in 2014, I was uh, the co-owner of one of the larger distributorships in uh, the Brazilian market, which is a, a very interesting white market in and of itself. Um, and uh, at the time, uh, uh, my business partner and I came across Rosé piscine in the French market on a trip to France. And we, we both it, it was like a, a light bulb just went off. We were like, wow, this is amazing. This product, This product is going to crush it in Brazil. Um, because you know the, the Brazilian, uh, just because of some of the particularities of the uh, Brazilian market, uh, it's sort of a sort of a newer wine market. Um, you know, a lot of uh, you know a lot of the Brazilian men in, in social settings would uh, drink uh, you know super super chilled Chopi, uh, which is a type of uh, beer, and uh, you know a lot of times the women didn't really have sort of a, a good uh, sort of casual alternative, and and we thought that Rosé Piscine would just be absolutely perfect. And um, so we launched the brand in the Brazilian market in December 2014. And within the course of 12 months, we actually became the top-selling rosé in the entire country, even compared with traditional rosés that are not served up rice, uh, including, for example, Whispering Angel. Sure. So it was, it was truly a rocket ship in the uh, Brazilian market. And uh, about two and a half years ago, um, uh, th- that's when I decided to uh, relocate back to the U.S. for personal reasons. Uh, and, uh, I decided to, uh, launch the brand here in the U.S. market. So we started with, uh, New York. And, um, uh, this last, uh, this last year we were in, uh, uh the other tri-states. So Connecticut, New Jersey. And this year, um, this season we're actually going to be in, uh, seven states. All
1: right. Well, we'll look forward to you heading your way to the West Coast, where we can probably enjoy this. Uh, we do have sunshine out here in Seattle, and it does get hot, and so this could be very refreshing. The website is com. That's P-I-S-C-I-N-E. And uh, if you guys are Instagramming out there, uh, maybe you can try this at home. Try some rosé and, and see if it is diluted, because I think this one could be very special. Um, hey, Blake, help you, Congratulations on a cool brand and really bucking the trends or recognizing the trends i know that they were putting uh, ice cubes and bud light way down in florida for many years but that's a different beast altogether so i appreciate the time and congratulations on rose piscine
3: all right. Well, uh, thank you very much for having
1: uh, me, Christopher. Yeah. It's uh, hey, folks. It's pre- it's pretty tasty. I have to imagine it's under twenty bucks, uh, and then you know it's nice and cold, chilled, refreshing, and it's really delicious. Uh, it's very kind of a lemonadey kind of thing, and almost a blood orange lemonade, if you will. Anyway, uh, stick around, folks. We got lots more coming up right here on five seventy KVI.
0: Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby, the Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local, weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m., KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalier, Christopher Chan.
1: All right, Seattle, hey, happy Saturday night. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, We live in a great place. Despite the uh, Seattle dying video, uh, there are some wonderful things to do still in this city. And I have the best person to help talk about that. It's a local author, local scribe, Jake Udy. He's uh, has written two little. Uh fun books. One is uh, Unique Eats and Eateries in Seattle, which uh, is a must-have. Um, obviously, you get, get a new one every five years because it probably changes uh, mm-hmm. with the industry here. And uh, 100 Things to Do in Seattle Before You Die. Um, hey, Jake Udy, welcome back to Happy Hour. Thank you for having me. Yes. Uh, w- what a glorious uh, April we have. I know. The weather's all right right the now. The weather's all right. We saw the cherry blossoms blooming, and uh, which is kind of sad. They should last really a whole month to be really They're fun. very
4: fleeting. There's a lot of selfies being taken there, and I think maybe with
1: the picture snap,
4: one of the... The, the petals come down, and
1: it's sad because <laughs> I've got one of those beautiful star magnolia uh, trees in my yard, and it's so beautiful. And then the petals fall, and they're all white, and then they like turn brown. Like, oh, this is not good. Um, but besides that, <laughs> I guess we see a lot of that ugliness in Seattle. But there's lots of beautiful things to do lots in Seattle. Of beautiful things to do, in Seattle, and you yeah. wrote wrote this book last year. Um, I guess it's being reissued, republished. Is that what's happening?
4: Yeah, yeah. The, um, it's actually the 100 things to do in Seattle was actually the second edition, and so it is a reprint of that. That one, and then the uh, unique eats and eateries, um, which features like ninety uh, interviews with different restaurateurs and and Seattle uh, restaurant owners in the city. That's that's still out. That's still out, and they're doing a push for that. I think the publishers are doing a push for that in the nice weather, and as people are going sure. out to dinner
1: more and stuff. I haven't seen any insects. No insects. Yeah, usually the spiders start coming out pretty soon. Well, I, I mean insects as far as eateries go. Oh. I know
4: crickets, know grubs, oh, oh, no crickets, no grubs. You have to go to the Mariners Stadium for that. Oh, is it, they have them there? They have the crickets at the Mariners Stadium. Oh, they have Stadium. the crickets. Yeah, yeah. and it's, like, it's one of their, they sell out. It's like one of their most, like the best selling items over there. I think probably the sensational sort of uh, new quality of it is the reason why. But they got crickets over there, man, which is not something that I'd be willing to pass by my lips personally.
1: Well, you know, I mean, there's more more insects in your food than you think. That's probably. Let's talk that's about peanut true. butter and tomato sauce. Could you could you do that though? Could you order a, like a like
4: a trough of uh, crickets and just sort of like pick a three, dip them in some aioli, and just oh check. sure, oh, wow, I think good it's for you. It,
1: yeah, you would think how much uh, good condiment those little insects with their little hairy legs, and they probably have <laughs> a lot of stuff
4: to stick. Are out. you an escargot person?
1: Uh, I I am an escargot person, although I. I don't really want to go hunting for them myself. Mm-hmm. I think, I think butter and garlic makes everything pretty much taste good. And when well, you know, I'm not afraid of stuff. I've eaten mm-hmm. frog legs, mm-hmm. and just actually for lunch, I was surprised Metro Market had hemp seeds. Oh, okay. I was gonna put a stash a few in my pocket just to see (laughs) See if it grows anything. Uh, But I haven't chewed on those in a long, long time, Uh let me say. And uh, they were really kind of weird. They were really, really crunchy, kind of like mini, mini corn nuts, a little bit hard. I like corn nuts. I do, too. I do, too, Um, except for the breath. Uh, Obviously, that's (laughs) a challenge. But these days, so, uh, obviously with spring, you know, there's a hundred things to do in Seattle. If that's once you get the honeydew list off your, <laughs> off the refrigerator. So you fertilize the lawn, you've yeah. uh, cleaned out the gutters, you've put away, the, you brought out the lawn furniture, uh, but a hundred things to do, uh, it's, it's, it would take you like two years if you did one thing a week yeah absolutely yeah the and you almost kind of need that because um, I remember the book it was pretty seasonal mm-hmm. I mean, you had s- well there's things- so many
4: things to do inside, inside in you yes. like museums to go to and, and restaurants to go to and things like that but when as the as spring has sprung as the blooms blossom uh, there's more to do outside like stand-up paddleboard yoga at Green Lake for example.
1: So is that actually part of the Green Lake uh, aquatics recreation stuff? You mm-hmm. go there and check in? and mm-hmm. Okay. You, you, go, you get your paddle board. You stand up. You try to do yoga poses, your downward
4: dog, and you can see turtles and different sort of animals around, but you try not to fall not off. Not the isn't? flopping fish or the uh-huh. <laughs> upside-down turtle? It's something I would definitely fall off doing, but it's it's sort of a, a feat to watch.
1: Interesting. You know? Well, I guess what would save you is that you really don't want to jump in that water, do you? <laughs> That's People go swimming in there. People seem to enjoy it, but then you always hear about like the goose. Yeah. Leftovers. Yeah. What's well, green for a reason? And it um, must be healthy. It's yeah. A, it's, it's helping out our uh, well, I wonder do you know how much a, a yoga costs? So it's a paddleboard rental, is probably, what, 12 bucks an hour or 15 bucks an hour yeah, something can, like that? I don't
4: know the exact price, but you can do it um, one by one. You can do it week by week or you can sign up uh, for like a okay. several week class. So you can do pop ins or you can just uh, sign up for a. Because I don't like, really like know
1: many yoga posers except for that guy, Swami. He's got his legs folded. Yeah. Funky. I don't I think it's if it. you're just Indian starting style, out doing it. yoga. I don't think it's
4: the thing for you. I think you want to
1: acclimate yourself in one of those hot rooms
4: or something else before you jump on the paddleboard. Interesting. Can you wear the yoga pants
1: out yes. there? Oh, yes. Yeah. okay? Or even a bathing suit. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, see, I think you probably want as much cover, skin covered if you fall in the water. <laughs> if, you fall, if you yeah, if you don't have the balance. Well, another thing that's coming up is uh, a musty. Is the opening day? Is that in your book? That is not my book. So I'm gonna have <sighs> I'm gonna need to hear you tell me a little about this for the next edition. Oh, well, opening day. This is not the moon first Saturday. No, opening yeah. day of boating season. Uh-huh. Um, this is. Uh, before uh, the Mariners, this is the when tribal canoes ruled in <laughs> the waves. Uh, this happens over Montlake. Obviously, it is uh, with the birth of the Windermere Cup. Um, local Windermere organization started a international crew race to help uh, promote the idea of rowing and, of course, to celebrate uh, the beautiful uh, Montlake Cut and mm-hmm. um, really a chance beautiful. to get out in the water and. <laughs> drink and be safe totally. and all that stuff and uh so they've they've got it's opening day and there's 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 a parade of boats there's you know commodores and people actually uh it's a big deal i think per capita Pacific uh, specific northwest seattle metro area has the most boats per capita oh wow
4: yeah the most boats and one of the mo- uh, we eat the most ice cream in the world also the, really In like northwest yeah it's odd to me like northwest seattle is one of the most the highest consuming ice cream well that that world.
1: would probably uh uh <laughs> Well, it makes sense for all those baggy clothes. <laughs> I, always, I always think it's a vitamin D
4: thing. Like We don't get it from the sun, so maybe we try to get it from the milk. But what you're talking about with the opening day sounds super great. I mean, the number one thing on my list to do in the spring and summer in Seattle is just to be outside. And so if you can be in the Montlake Cut and this beautiful area and have this sort of serenity of the boats and maybe some competition or going by, yeah. then being outside is number one. Like One of the things... That comes to mind also. Seattle has this like intricate web of staircases, like kind of like in Fremont. It's just true. And just like kind of everywhere you turn, there's like a weird, long, a little short, steep staircase. Yeah. And, um, and that's even fun to just like see. we got on those nice, hills. Yeah. We West got the hills. Seattle, Beacon, Magnolia, Absolutely.
1: Queen Anne, Capitol. Um, there's Capital, one missing. I forget what Denny. Yeah. Denny de- yeah, yeah right uh, well, is that what that can't be on the things to do before you die, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It? is. It's, that'll keep you from. It'll keep you living a little
4: bit with that extra exercise. All right, so
1: you almost <laughs> got to do something like, all right, I'm going to chew a piece of gum and then walk through the market and then put my gum on the gum wall then right. head down to the waterfront. Let's uh-huh. go to the aquarium then head back up to the Seattle Art Museum and then head over to... Uh, Maybe see
4: a show or something like that, Triple Door or something like that, right? Yeah. Oh, or
1: the Crocodile, yeah. huh? Mm-hmm. Something a little more, you know, urban and uh, gritty. And of course, you know, you got to wade through the, 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 uh, morass that is uh, Belltown these days. Belltown, Belltown's a, yeah, Belltown's an interesting place. You actually call it Siren Town. <laughs> Siren Town? I don't know about that one. Well, that's you know, with all this, it's just uh, stuff's happening down yeah. there. And I used to work down there in the nineties. Um, when you think about 100 things before you die, how how urgent is it? Well, a life well
4: lived is maybe the most urgent thing in the whole world. All right, I like that part. (laughs) So, um, you know, I wrote the book, and there are suggestions, and there are suggestions that I believe in, but being active and being curious about the city that you live in, I think think there is a strong urgency in there, and I think being around other people... You know, more and more we're behind our computer screens, more and more we have our earbuds in, more and more we are resigned to our sort of shallow politics. But I think being around other people and being out in the city and engaging in public spaces is actually a very important thing.
1: Yeah, and it's almost as if... we, we have reached, we receded a bit. Mm-hmm. We've, we've become more, uh, home-based. Uh, and I get that part because, you know, down, to, first of all, you can't park downtown anymore. Yeah. So it's harder to get to, uh, and traffic's a mess. So I don't really want to go out. And then you've got to deal with, um, some, some of the, uh, the, the urban, uh, what is it? The, the urban gallows, if you will. It's like, you know, there's the alleys and there's, Tensions there's, are high there's many poor places. people and there's, uh, Mentally ill people, and there's there's things that you you just not are not savory, uh, for, although it is partly savory. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, spoiled.
4: yeah, I mean, that's, this is all like a much bigger picture of how we take care of the, you know, our, our, the citizens who are most vulnerable and and how they get there in the first place, um, which is which is not an easy que- question to answer, and uh, I don't envy the people who are making those decisions. But and
1: we need to celebrate th- that we live here, and it's okay to go out, and we and if we go out together in mass we will feel safer because there's more people and and there has to be this the standard we've kind of let that standard go and i think i don't want to get too political here but it's like i i want to i don't want to die in seattle and not have lived it well uh, absolutely yeah and and i and
4: again i think part of that well well lived life is being around each other and And we become less and less statistics and less and less sort of like blank faces to one another as opposed to neighbors and people who are in the same city and sharing the same streets and sharing the same air and sharing the
1: same water, which I think is really important. people in your neighborhood? Exactly, man. Mr. Rogers. Rogers. Uh, Speaking with Jake Udi, UT, and what's the website to find some of these cool books, The 100 Things to Do in Seattle Before I Die, and Unique Eats and Eateries in Seattle? They are both available
4: on Amazon, which is a website I think most people in the city are familiar with. Uh And uh, my own website is uh, jakeud.com. They can find links to the websites and other articles I've written on that site. And that's
1: utti.com. J-A-K-E-U-I-T-T-I. It's a weird Finnish word. Or oh niti, I think is the French he- he- Ryuniti. Bre- <laughs> hey folks, stick around, we got a little more coming up right here in Happy Hour Radio.
0: Two regular guys separated by 20 years and a full head of hair. Mark Lee and Van Camp, weekdays 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: All right, happy April, happy happy Saturday night, and uh, happy uh, 100 things to do in Seattle before you die. Speaking with Jake Udy, who is uh, UT. He is the author of uh, two uh, cool little books. Um, one is unique eats and eateries in Seattle. 100 things to do in Seattle before you die. We're chatting about uh, yoga on Green Lake, of course, uh, opening day for boating season out at Montlake. Um, how to get out and about and just really enjoy Seattle. It's okay, we're not dead yet. We're not, um, and you shouldn't. Uh, uh, you get out there before. One of the things that we like to do, it's kind of an inside and outside thing these days, is drink some beers. Absolutely. Yeah. Um yeah. I know that Red Hook Brewery up in Capitol Hill has a new Facility at where the old Phil Smart uh, or Barry Motors, yeah, it's Uh called Brew Lab. It's the old Mercedes Benz building, and they saved some cool parts about it, which gives. But they also actually brew a lot of beer there. They've got a full kitchen and restaurant, and they've got other people's beer, which is pretty neat.
4: Yeah, when it first opened up, maybe a year or two ago, they had these really great. I love when breweries do the collaborations, and so they had like collaborations with different breweries all around Seattle, including Georgetown and, and other.
1: I think it's pretty, coming up much, again. Yeah, yeah. IPA
4: days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were talking off air about IPAs and all the nuance that there is, in the, but, uh, and also the, all the heft that is in IPAs these days, too, how they can be hard to sort of digest, and they sort of make you feel a little little soggy in there. But I, <laughs> when I think of nice weather, I also think of IPAs like a Citra IPA or or even a Session, which is maybe not your favorite, but I like those sort of four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half Session IPAs and stuff from Fremont and Georgetown Other things that come to mind when I think of you know, having a nice pint. In the it's summer. hard
1: to remember that, you know, when we drank all those, you know, I was a big Miller High Life fan. Sure. I just love Coors Light, Keystone. We were drinking beers that were just, you could, go, you could just drink and it was not uh, offensive. And then, boom, came Red Hook ESB, period, Hefeweizen. But there was little... It seemed like we jumped from zero hops to a hundred hops. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, maybe it's just hindsight. Um, we were—I was drinking Sierra Nevada, mm-hmm. and that was like the new craft beer, back, beer. In, back in the early '90s. Yeah, um, but here these days, uh, of course, IPA is huge. Um, some of the breweries that you like, of course, Fremont and Fremont—that's got a—that's a big location, big location, and they—they they have the
4: the giant distributor out of in Ballard, and then also their big brewery in Fremont itself, and and. In the nice weather, there's like a thousand people on their patio every every day <laughs> eating pretzels, eating free pretzels, and drinking their beer. But it is a really nice place to put some sunglasses on and and enjoy yourself in the. You summer.
1: know, you should almost do a um, hundred things to do in Ballard if you right? think about it. You could go out to the locks. You could go out to uh, Ray's Boathouse and. Yeah, when I was pitching these books or,
4: or when I got the assignment to write them, um, one I wish I pitched another idea: a hundred best beers in Seattle, which I would I would have really liked to do the research on that. It, it could be hard because those turn over so quickly. The beers like. Kind of here one day, gone the next. But I think that that would have been a fun. That's guide. true.
1: I know. Well, you know, you start just calling your notes. You yeah. Must, right. You know, you got to keep. That's what what's what uh, uh, scribes do. The the journalistic part of us is that we take notes, and like a sommelier, we take notes on wines. Mentally, of course, uh, with your uh, uh, is it Galaxy notebook. <laughs> oh, what, I have probably my cell phone at this point. <laughs> um, so, if there was a brewery, because I, I know a Maritime Pacific is one of mm-hmm. those breweries that I don't hear much about anymore, unless it's ho- uh, Halloween, unless it's the holidays with their Jolly Rogers, right, which is right, my right, right. Beer. But what's a beer that a brewery that you're kind of like? You know what? You got to check this one out.
4: You know, your listeners may have tried this one before, but and we were talking off air about it. But I, the Bodhisattva, in many ways, is my quintessential beer. But part of that is. I'm not thinking about sitting down and then drinking 12 of them. You know, it's like sure. just a sip or even a schooner. It's like a really perfect, flavorful. It's got the hops, but it's got the citrus and it's got the body. And it has that sort of light, sunshiny, even golden quality that I just associate with like
1: a nice summer day in Seattle. Clarity. Yeah. And that's from Georgetown Brewing. Yep.
4: That's from Georgetown. Yep. And
1: uh, that's right in, you know, I've actually never been there.
4: Yeah. And that makes sense in a way because it is in Georgetown, but their tap room is not like like a hangout place. Like it's a, it's a place where you can go and buy growlers and buy beer and sort of see the facility through the windows. But it's just, they just do samples. There's, you don't, you don't like have (laughs) sit down and have a pint and then maybe order a burger or something like that. It's like kind of an in and out, i see that, so that's no loitering be... almost huh exactly. Just sampling yeah. Yeah.
1: that's not a bad deal so uh but congratulations, all of them, congratulations yeah. on the 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 reissue the republication of your second edition of a hundred things to do in Seattle before you die uh it's jake u t u i t t i at uh, dot com and this uh you can you have us uh, some other you do some articles though. I saw something about uh, yeah Duff McKagan. Yeah, yeah. I also I also do a lot of music writing and write for KXP and
4: um, I was writing for the Seattle Times and the Stranger for a while there and um, do a lot of like music interviews with like Mike McCready or Duff McKagan or Leon Bridges and folks like that. Wow, yeah. good for you. Yeah.
1: And this is the concert season, right? It's all yeah. Coming- it's coming, man. Wow. It's coming up. I know, and Sam michelle Michelle's got a huge lineup. I can't wait until they're they redoing that pier down there. Was it Pier 61 or 62 uh-huh. or something? For, uh, the old concert's on the pier. I wonder yeah, if that'll
4: come back. I think it probably will, and I also hear that Port Townsend's uh, going to have a, a nice little music festival. I don't know if they've announced that yet. But the, really? The bees, yeah, they're going to have a... That's Port cool. Gonna have a,
1: well, that's good. Good to good, good into the know with Jake Udy. Hey, man, uh, good to see you. Congratulations. Likewise. Have a great rest of the spring, and uh, let's Thank catch you. up in the fall and talk about some of those uh, beautiful beers. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, folks, hope you enjoyed Coconut Rum, uh, Rose Piscine, and, of course, 100 Things to Do in Seattle Before You Die. Uh, Get the books. (laughs) You never know. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Remember, we have a website, happyhourradio.net, and Life is Always Better with a Designated Driver. Cheers.